Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about what information you should be taking notice of in the media and what information might make interesting reading, but you shouldn't let uh, shape your property investment decisions. According to the media, not more than six or seven months ago, uh, investing in property was no longer a smart way to build wealth. You know, Labor wanted to ban negative gearing, uh, increase capital gains tax. Commentators were predicting that the market would crash by more than 20%. Banks were tightening lending standards and so on and so on. Since then, I guess the world to some degree has returned back to normal. Uh, and most of these concerns have abated. And according to the median, property is now again uh, an okay investment. Um, so it shows, you know, how the tune of media can have a great impact on, uh, you know, what is ultimately a good long-term investment, or at least can be if you get it right. Uh, but what if, what if Labor had have won? Well, of course, you know, uh, the fact that they lost the election in May 19. Uh, certainly helped the property market because it meant any changes to negative gearing and capital gains tax were off the table. However, it had a won the election, even if it had a won the election, you know, I doubt Labor would have been able to get the proposed changes legislated, particularly in an environment of struggling property prices. And even if they did get them legislated, I stand by my view, which I expressed a number of times leading into May, the May election, that whilst these changes would have materially reduced after-tax returns, uh, that it wouldn't have rendered property investment uneconomical. You know, in the long run, investing in the right asset, the laws of supply and demand still would have delivered um, good quality returns and it would have been a viable investment. You know, I was reading an article by an investment manager that I I respect greatly uh, a few weeks ago, And his thesis was that it was too early to call a recovery to the property market because of a fall in construction volumes. Uh, And he went on to explain, you know, that is construction of new dwellings. He went on to explain that, um, you know, a depressed construction market will create negative consequences for economic growth. You know, construction companies going out of uh, of business, uh, lower employment, and there's flow-on effects to, you know, suppliers to the construction industry and so forth, and therefore that'll have negative consequences for the property market. And whilst I don't disagree with the author's economic, economical rationing, um, I, I was really sitting there thinking, well, that's great, makes it interesting reading. It's true, I don't disagree with it, but how should an investor react to that information? Um, you know, so if I'm contemplating, for example, investing in a blue chip investment grade location, do I really care about the fall in construction, uh, which is inevitably in locations that are geographically uh, far away from investment grade locations? And whilst it might have a macroeconomic effect, you know, if I'm investing in a property for 10, 20, 30 years in a location that's not really driven or influenced by the level of construction, do I really care about this? So I started to then think about, well, what is what 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 are the are the useful topics um, that the media can talk about that I should listen to? But most importantly, what is the what is, what other media noise other than that? What should I be blocking out? Because you want to be really careful about what you're consuming uh, in terms of information, because it can even even unconsciously shape your investment decisions. So be really careful in respect to that. 
Um, uh, so in reality, you know, the media um, really only are interested in articles that are newsworthy. And by definition, newsworthy means that the, the information, the topic, the story, the thesis um, is time sensitive. You know, it's about the now. So it's either what happened yesterday or what we think is going to happen tomorrow. So it tends to be very short-term driven rather than long-term driven. And because of that, uh, I don't think it's often very useful to investors. Um, so before we talk about, you know, what are the what are the key things at a macroeconomic level, uh, let's remind ourselves uh, what a good and bad uh, investment property looks like. Because, you know, if you go and buy a, a good or bad investment property, the cost to hold that asset are largely going to be the same. You know, you're going to pay the same amount of interest for a good property than you will for a bad one. Uh, the income and expenses associated with that asset are likely to be materially the same. You know, good, bad, good property versus a bad property. The big difference between good and bad is really capital growth. And so really there's three factors then we need to think about that really are going to be primarily responsible for driving capital growth. The first one is land value. So we all know that land appreciates where buildings depreciate. Therefore, it stands to reason that you should invest in properties that are mostly land value, uh, which typically includes you know, houses and older style apartments, you know, situations where the building value has kind of depreciated um, to an extent that it's, it's unlikely to appreciate much uh, in the future. Uh, whereas newly built properties, typically what you're paying for is mostly building value and, and therefore you're going to have some big depreciation in those initial years. Now, the appreciation in land value needs to be more than more than the depreciation in building value to offset it um, so that you get a, an overall increase in property value. But if you're, say, if your property is mostly, say, 80% building value, then 80% of your asset is depreciating and only 20% being the land value is appreciating. That is unlikely to happen. So common sense stands to reason we need a strong land value component, which again I said uh, is mostly houses or older style apartments. The second thing we need to look for is scarcity. We need scarcity in two ways. First in terms of location and then in time in terms of property type. So location, a scarce location is one that has a finite amount of land, really no vacant land if you like, and there's no vacant land adjoining the suburb either, and possibly even two or three suburbs over. So there's really a, a scarcity of additional land. Uh, and then the, the location is highly desirable by a broad, broad spectrums of demographics. So, you know, young people, families, retirees, it has wide appeal um, by a, a number of different sources there. So that's scarcity in terms of location. And then you want scarcity in terms of property type. So that means it has um, limited, even falling supply, but wide appeal. So an a good example of a scarce property type is a Victorian cottage. You know, no one's building them anymore and they tend to have wide appeal. An example of a property type that has little scarcity is high-rise high apartment. There's literally thousands of them, hundreds and thousands of them, and they all look almost the same. Uh, and the last one is proven performance. So really it's about looking at the past growth of the particular property um, and seeing how its value has changed over the past 10, 20 or 30 years. And what you can then do is work out what is that capital growth rate in percentage terms over that period of time. Past performance is often a good indicator because 
uh, the value drivers associated with property tend to be static. That is, they rarely change and factual. You know, that they're not open to a lot of sub- subjectivity. For example, positive amenities such as shopping strips, schools and hospitals, you know, that can that make a location highly desirable, uh, they're, they're static, so they, you know, they often don't change or they can take many decades to change. And they're factual, you know, there's a school, there's a hospital, it's not a question of my subjective opinion. Uh, so they're the three things, you know, three really important things when looking at a, a property investment, land value, scarcity and past performance. Um, but they, they're all property-specific factors. So what are the non-property-specific, so the macro-level factors that, um, uh, that, that are uh, important to take into account that are, you're most likely to read about in the press? And I reckon there's only a handful. In fact, I could only think of uh, four. That might, there may be smaller ones that I haven't thought about. The four main ones. Uh, the first one is population growth. It's a very important factor because there's only a limited amount of dwellings in an investment-grade location. Uh, so particularly if we're looking at houses, you can't really change the supply of houses in a location. There's one house per block. Often in, in blue-chip suburbs, they're not really open to a lot of subdivision because the value of the land is just too expensive, so it doesn't make make it worthwhile. It's not viable for developers. So quite often you don't get a lot of subdivision in blue-chip locations. So therefore, it's hard to change the supply of houses. You can certainly change the supply of apartments, and that's been happening, but that'll only happen to a certain amount of, of density. Um, uh, but if population is growing, then demand will be increasing, and this translates, you know, increase in demand where supply is fixed translates into upward price growth pressure. That's economics 101. Um, natural changes in population, so births and deaths, are relatively stable. They're not really changing very much and relatively predictable. The main changes will be really driven by overseas and interstate migration. And some capital cities and some locations are projected uh, or forecast to benefit from higher levels of migration than others. So, for example, uh, Victoria and uh, sorry, Melbourne and Brisbane um, are positive benefactors from interstate migration, whereas Sydney is not. And, for example, the ABS are predicti- is predicting that Melbourne will be Australia's largest capital city, surpassing Sydney by year 2031. So only about 12 years uh, away from that perspective. So there's a lot of population growth. We all need to live somewhere. Uh, as the cities become more and more congested, it becomes even more desirable to live closer to the city. So those inner ring suburbs start to really... Um, uh, become more and more valuable, uh, I think. Uh, the second thing is money supply. So flow of money into the property market will have an impact on growth rates. Um, so money can flow into a property market in really two ways, uh, borrowings and overseas sources. So that's really non-resident investors. Um, and it's been well documented that the government has, you know, tightened restrictions in both uh, these capacities. So really non-resident investors have almost all but disappeared. Uh, well, I mean, there's still some, obviously, but certainly volume uh, has greatly reduced. Um, and, uh, you know, we've talked about um, changes in banking rules and uh, credit and so forth, and that's been restricted. So arguably the government's been too aggressive in that regard, and I, I predict that um, lending policies will gradually loosen over the next few years, not months, but years. It'll take a bit of time, probably won't get back to where we were. 
Um, but I don't think money supply is going to be a major restrictor in the long run, but I think it will be a restrictor in the short term. Uh, the third consideration is diversified employment opportunities. So therefore, you want to invest in locations where no particular industry, employment industry, uh, can manipulate the materially manipulate the demand for property. And therefore, demand is sustainable uh, and stable. That's what you really want. A good example of that not happening is Perth, where you know the, the mining boom happened, wanted to employ a whole bunch of people uh, and bring them into Perth. That changed the property market. Uh, when demand uh, uh, fell back, uh, the, the property prices followed. Uh, we don't want to invest. We want to invest where there's no one dominant industry. I mean, every location has a dominant industry. There needs to be a number one, but not to the extent where it can materially change uh, the, the, the demand for, for property. Uh, and the last factor is really infrastructure. And infrastructure is important only to the extent that it can reduce the impact of living further away from the CBD. So really in those outer suburbs. Uh, that includes kind of reduced travel times, for example, um, uh, equal access to employment opportunities, recreational resources and those sorts of things. But as I've, uh, I did a podcast a few months ago in relation to this and certainly blogs on our website, that, you know, Australia um, isn't going to make, in my opinion, any material advancements in this regard. It would require um, an an unbelievable uh, expenditure on infrastructure to be able to achieve that. So that is that if I lived, you know, 30 to 40, 50 k's out of the CBD that, you know, is just as good or almost just as good as living, say, 10 k's out of the CBD, uh, you know, that requires a lot of infrastructure. I don't think that's going to happen. And I think that's why inner city blue chip suburbs will continue to out outperform and, and probably more so as our cities get, uh, more and more congested. So therefore, there you go. Apart from those factors, which is really population growth, money supply, diversified employment opportunities and infrastructure, apart from commentary in relation to those macroeconomic factors, everything else is really just noise and you should be really careful about letting that, that sort of noise influence your personal property investment decisions. You know, a lot of quality media is thought-provoking and interesting. It's just that it's not that helpful uh, when it comes to investment decisions. You know, topics like interest rates, construction, uh, unemployment, all these sorts of things, they're very cyclical elements, short-term elements that might have an impact at a, a macroeconomic level from property but, but aren't going to uh, impact the demand and supply or the growth of a specific a specific asset in an investment grade location and you'd be um, doing yourself a, a great service to really just ignoring that sort of noise it's interesting but you know that look it's really not going to be that relevant in making the investment decision uh, so that's it for this week uh, thank you very much for listening if you enjoyed the podcast i really would uh, love it if you could share with friends and family the more that listen, the better, obviously, if you think it's going to be of value to them. Uh, but until next week, bye for now. Thanks a lot.